Welcome to the Red Caps Podcast, a podcast where we dip our caps into the blood of our listeners and we ramble on about old school games. In today's episode, we are joined by Greg Gillespie, best known for his plethora of mega dungeons. Remember, no mortal can outrun a red cap, so I hope you can sit back, listen, and enjoy. This is interview number two of about seven or so that I have scheduled for this month, and I'm hoping people are enjoying them. I know they're a little bit longer or a lot longer than my normal episodes, but in this one, I'm going to be sitting down with Greg Lesbie of Barrow Maze, High Fell, Forbidden Caverns, Dwaro Deep Fame, and we're going to talk about his process of design, uh, the importance of art, and a whole lot more. This episode is going out on the 7th of October, uh, which means you have roughly two weeks left to get in on the Child Hero Contest. You can win some great prizes, so please do drop me a note and get your entry in. Tell me who your favorite child-aged hero is. Is it the kids from the animated D&D cartoon? Is it Kevin McAllister from Home Alone? Is it, um, I don't know, the kid from an anime show that you enjoy? Drop me a note, let me know who it is and why. So far, the Extra Life fundraiser has raised about $300, which means after I do my matching, I will only be about $75 away from hitting a $500 milestone. Thank you so much for everybody who's participated, and hopefully we're able to reach that. All right, so enough about all of that. Let's get to what you're really here for, which is the interview. Take it away. I'm joined by Greg Gillespie, best known for Mega Dungeons Galore. Uh, You've done several of them. Um, The only one I've had any playtime with is barrow maze but i know you've done many others um, i want to thank you for coming on and my very first thing i gotta ask up front why so many mega dungeons well uh hello thanks for having me um it's always <laughs> nice to speak to a fellow canadian so uh why mega dungeons well a couple reasons so the first one is uh the hobby began in the mega dungeon um this is you know castle greyhawk and um castle blackmore el raja key that sort of thing so that's where the game began. And uh, when we think about Mega Dungeons, we should uh, be thinking of the origins of the hobby. So I think that's something that I want to sort of uh, encourage, uh, looking back to the original designers and their intent for play and play style and so on. And then the other part of it too, is they're just, um, they invigorate the imagination, they're inspiring. So uh, the, the, you know, the whole notion coming from sort of Tolkien's Moria, uh, the, the first sort of inspiration so for a mega dungeon and uh, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty cool evocative uh, image I think we all had reading those books and seeing it on screen and so forth so uh, it, it speaks to the origin of the hobby and it also is fires the imagination for gameplay yeah and I mean you've kind of shown through the various products that a mega dungeon doesn't just need to be a one note thing you've you've kind of went in various themes which each of your various ones i mean barrow maze is very undead heavy and i i really like how barrow maze is is a horizontal mega dungeon not a not a vertical one um and then up to the most recent one which is basically moria uh for lack of a better better way of describing it with a it's a dwaro deep am i saying it right when i say um and i mean you've got uh, a floating island mega dungeon, and you've got uh, basically a, a, a different take on Caves of Chaos with a lot of faction play um, as well. So it's there's a there's a wide mix of what you've been able to do with the mega dungeons. Is it so? Do you tend to play? I always think of of the dungeon play um, as I play a lot of BX. That's my game of choice, um, and dungeon play being the basic. Um, and as soon as you go and start doing overland stuff, you're an expert. Um, do you do any of the overland stuff in 
Like, do you have settings that you create for your home group or for yourself or uh, that focuses more on, on the overworld or is, do you try to keep everything in the dungeon as well? No, I think you should uh, give access to everything immediately so that if uh, your group decides they want to do some overland stuff, they can. If they want to run headlong into a dungeon and get TPK, they should have the opportunity <laughs> to do that too. Uh, so what I do is uh, I'm very sandboxy, so um, I'll take some small, like 32-page published dungeons. Uh, I'll take the mega dungeons that I've made. Um, I'll take maybe you know one-page dungeons I've created, and then I'll throw out some rumors, and then they can decide what they want to do. So if that involves overland play to get there, then then that's what we do. If it's something that's a little bit closer, maybe you know day's journey or whatever to uh, to enter a dungeon, then then we can do that too. And and so I just make it sort of available for what they want to do, and then we sort of decide about a week in advance, and I'll I'll prep the prep the direction. So very much like a a, a proper sandbox, or almost taking some of the cues from like the West Marches style of hey, tell me what you want to do, and then I'll make sure that's ready for the next session, and you guys schedule that out for me. Yeah, and uh, you know I, I do like. Uh, you know, there are uh, a lot of really cool one-page dungeons that, quite honestly, um, you don't have to really do any prep for. You can run them with almost no prep because it's effectively one sheet. And if you can bring your your knowledge of the game and your imagination to it, you can make those really interesting for play. And then, of course, you've got what, what I found was, and one of the reasons why Barrow Maze uh, came about, is that we would sort of discuss what we wanted to do. I'd prep for it. We'd show up on game night, and then they want to do something completely different. <laughs> so, so what I, I did was I need a tent pole uh, for this thing, and that that's really what inspired uh, Barrow Maze. Yeah, I've used a lot of uh, from the one page dungeon competition that gets held every year. I've I've taken a lot of dungeons from there to play with, and honestly, I mean, um, we were recently talking on a, on a Discord, and we there was a conversation about you know what were the six books if you were going to take six books, and that was going to be your your final set of books to go and play RPGs with forever, forever. And for the adventure I put down Barrow Maze, partly because I think you could probably play it for more time than I actually have left to play games. But also I, I pull a lot of like the smaller barrows all the time from, from it, um, or even like parts of the dungeon and just use them as standalones. Um, so I think it's a very useful tool in that sense. All my dungeons are like that. So with uh, Barrow Maze, you've got the low hanging fruit for the, uh, the Barrow Mounds. And then with, Forbidden Caverns, you can easily take like uh, the Cobalt Complex or uh, some of the other um, monster themed um, dungeons, uh, Hobgoblins and so on. For uh, Highfell, you can easily take a Wizard Tower, you could throw it into your uh, sandbox. And um, so each of those has that sort of low hanging fruit where if the, if the players want to get a little, accrue a little experience before they they go uh, sort of subsurface environment. They, they can do that. And then, um, yeah, so Drow Deep, which is my most recent mega dungeon. So, like, I've always had, I'm a very, I'm very tall. I'm like six foot five. And when, when I play, I like to play dwarves because I'm interested in what the perspective of the world <laughs> is at about four feet high. And I know that's kind of silly, but I'm, I, I think that's fun for me and that's what I like to play. So, and I've always been fascinated with dwarves from Tolkien's Moria. So then, and then when you start going back to the history of the hobby, looking not only at TSR stuff, but then also at third party publishing, there's a lot of, there were a lot of attempts to do a Dwarven themed dungeon that just didn't materialize the way it should have. And I find that shocking. 
like in, when you consider how ubiquitous Moria is to the inspiration for Dungeons Dragons and Dungeons Everywhere, and yet it had never really been done well in, in a way that I wanted to do it, that I would want to play. So that's one of the, so I do, uh, I go at things very much with an academic approach. So I create a preliminary bibliography of all the stuff I'm going to read. I, I do my, uh, do all my background reading. I make it, so there are things that I'm already familiar with. There are things I'm not familiar with at all and everything in between those two spots. And, and then, uh, I take a look at how people have gone about it. And, uh, and then from there, decide what I like, what I don't, and and then try to incorporate all of that moving forward into my vision for a project. When you're working on something as big as these mega dungeons are, how do you tend to to map everything at once and then go back to stock? Or are you like mapping a little bit, stocking a little bit? Like how how do you keep that that flow going over what I has, have to assume is is quite a period of time given the size of these projects? Like just how how does that work? Is it a full map and then stocking or is it a mixer well it it um it's both now so if we take the most recent one drow deep so i had an idea of what i wanted the hex map to look like and the hex map had to be done um in order to take a look at the the primary encounter areas and then build those um individually so in that instance, the hex map had to be done first, and it had to be ironclad and concrete. Then from there, I could I could build my individual sections. So then I'll go from hex map first normally, because the, the, each of these are situated in my campaign world. So I've got my campaign world map. Then I've got my my uh, so that then it's broken into the regional maps, and then there's the hex map for that dungeon or its surrounding area. Then from there, it's onto the the individual dungeon maps. And, um, you know, I read a quote, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Irish uh, band, the Pogues, but okay. um, they're very popular in the 1980s and uh, Shane McGowan was their, their uh, front man. And he, I think he's one of the best lyricists from the uh, 20th century. And he said once that uh, someone asked him, well, how do you write lyrics for a song? And he said, well, I just come up with the melody and the lyrics suggest themselves. And so I try to, I have an idea in my mind of what I want, but I'm, as I go through the process organically, I'm open to new inspirations, to, um, you know, uh, alternative ways of, of doing and, and, and being in the process so that as I create it, yes, I've got the idea in my mind, but as I start to lay it out, other things will suggest themselves that I didn't initially consider or see. And I try to incorporate that as I go. It's it's interesting that you describe it that way because that's really how I describe um, how I play characters when I play D and D. I've I've kind of always railed against the idea of extensive pre-determined backstories and, and what your character is before you actually sit down because I, much in the same way you were just describing that you as you're developing the dungeon you figuring out what's going on as it goes and it kind of shows itself to you. That's how I feel my player my characters are as I'm playing. Um, yeah. is that I could start off with one idea, but three sessions in, this is an entirely different character. And it's now, it's the character was formed by the play and the world and, and how it was described to me. Um, so I, I, I've always, I kind of, I guess, in some ways look at envy at folks that can figure out a character and just have them 
run no matter where they're at. But because for me, it's if I tried to plan it, it would be thrown out within like the first session because the world sure. would change exactly how I play. Well, so. any, any role we play, whether it's in our daily lives or at the table, is one part uh, intrinsic. So it's coming from us, what we would like the character to be. But then it's also exterior or extrinsic in that by bouncing your character off other people playing their characters, you're also identifying what your role is, what the personality of the character is. And uh, and I think you should be, I think being open to that is not only fun, but it's also that, uh, that, um, that exploration of self that we engage in. We think we're ex exploring dungeons, but we're really just exploring ourselves. <laughs> yeah, but, many, many people have said that, that Dungeons and Dragons or role-playing games in gen general is a great form of therapy. And probably for that exact reason, you're finding out things about yourself and, and how you interact with people uh, every time you sit down and pick up a set of dice. So, For sure, yeah. Well, just to, to um, chime in there again, in terms of, of my process, I'm, I'm really big on journaling. So what I do is... Um, I play a little bit of a mind game with myself. So I, I buy these um, these books that look like they're they're almost like in-game, in-world books, like um, like I would be on a wizard shelf or something like that. <laughs> like they look like they're in-world. And I use those for journaling. So I'm journaling, like if I get a little bit of inspiration, I write it in that journal and it could just be a place name. It could be um, uh, an interesting NPC concept. It could be uh, figuring out uh, you know, distances with uh, hex maps and so on. So what I do is I, I everything goes in that journal and then I, I carry it with me pretty well everywhere I go for like a year and I constantly revise it and revise it and revise it. And some things don't make it into, in, in, into that project, uh, but they might make it into the next one or uh, something will get finalized and honed and it will make it into that project. So it's a, I try to um, engage in the process and uh, the, to, to, keep your, to keep your work interesting. So it has a little texture, it has charm, and, and hopefully people see that when it, it comes off the page and you can't cheat that process. And you know, we've got a lot of really articulate, well-read, um, bright people in the hobby and they know the difference between something that's been banged out and something that shows some care. And so I, I do try to, I try to, I'm writing for that person. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I always envy folks that, that say they do a lot of journaling or that they can, they can do that. I've got a tiny little, I don't even know what the size of it would be. It's, it's upstairs next to my bed, to be honest. Um, just a tiny little pocket size notebook that I keep there for in case inspiration right, right before I fall asleep, you know, that note you have to jot down. But um, it's funny, I mentioned earlier when I was talking about the six books, the sixth book I had on my list was a notebook, but one that doesn't give me any anxiety to go and write in because I find I'll get the nicest notebook. I would sit down, I'm like, oh, whatever I put in this, I'm going to ruin this book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I have that hard time to start. I have been told, you know, just scribble on the first page or rip out a page or something so you get over it. But um, I don't know how many books, uh, how many notebooks I have that like the first three pages, I've got something written in and then it, it went sideways. I'm like, no, I can't touch this book anymore. I've ruined it. <laughs> I know. I know. I, but yes, that, that's, I think, uh, a little bit of, of writer's anxiety. And, uh, and quite honestly, uh, I don't really believe too much in in, in writer block or writer writer's anxiety because that's 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 you telling yourself 
that you have not done enough background reading and or you have um, not done enough outlining. So when you've done your reading, when you've done the outlining, you're prepared, you're ready to go. There is no anxiety because you have a plan. It's when you don't have a plan that we tend to think in these terms and then we're like, oh, and then your hand ringing and the cursor is blinking at you or whatever. <laughs> you know, the yeah. Yeah. It, it is often during that, that brainstorming period. Uh, whenever I'm, if I'm writing out an episode for the podcast or something and I've got everything lined out, yeah, I can fly through that. No problem. It's that initial brainstorming where I, where I find I get stuck a lot. Yeah. You're, just to, to chime in there and add in, uh, you know, for creative types, whether you're chiseling a statue from stone, whether you're writing an RPG, whether you're writing music, whatever it is, you are going to have creative self-doubt. Yeah. You have to embrace that self-doubt. And that is a healthy thing. It's not paralyzing. It's healthy. Because if you're sitting there and you're saying, God, this sucks. Like, everyone's going to think this sucks. I'm going to hate myself forever if I put this down on paper then you have a really healthy check and balance going on in your brain. And uh, and in creative types, we beat ourselves up, you know, because we want it to be just so. And um, but but the, I, I am I try to embrace that the best I can. And I have got this little note I put at the front of each of those those um, sort of journaling books that just reminds me of the creative process and that uh, self-doubt is part of it and it's healthy and completely normal. I think that's a good message for everybody here, actually. So thank you for putting that out there, because I wouldn't have said that nearly as articulately <laughs> as well as you did. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that I ask all kinds of people, and I could, I've said before that I could ask five people, and I would get eight different answers to this question. It's, it's, uh, it's OSR October that we're doing. What's the OSR? Uh, what is the OSR? Well, I don't spend uh, my, I don't spend a lot of time wringing my hands and gnashing teeth on that. On that idea, uh, I think uh, if I were to, if you're really to, to pin me down, I would say the OSR uh, plays editions of Dungeons and Dragons, either published by TSR or inspired by those rule sets in the form of retro clones. So I have a very clear delineation in my mind between what TSR D&D means and what WotC D&D means. And uh, if you love WotC D&D, all the more power to you. I personally have no interest in playing Mike Merle's version of D&D or whoever's version of Monty Cook's version of D&D. I want to play Gary Gygax's version of D&D and Dave Arneson's version. And that's uh, that's where I'm at. When I think about little homages and tips of the cap and things like that, that I want little Easter eggs and things that I want to put in my books, it's going to focus on uh, the people that created the hobby that has given so much to me over time. You know, I um, it was a it was a Dungeons and Dragons for me. It was like a training ground for academia. Um, constantly sitting there with a the dictionary, looking up all these strange <laughs> words that Gygax was was writing and trying to translate what what was going on there. And uh, I've just, it's given me a lot uh, and, uh, and I enjoy playing the game still. I enjoy giving, giving back and, and trying to create things that people might be inspired by or enjoy. And so uh, the OSR to me um, emphasizes TSR era, D&D, &D, 
either in those rule sets or or their clones. And I think Matt Finch's primer for old school gaming did a really terrific job of mm -hmm. explaining uh, what that means in terms of gameplay at the table. So for those uh, listeners out there, if you haven't read Matt Finch's uh, primer for old school gaming, definitely do that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's sitting right over here on the shelf and it's a fantastic resource. I think everybody should go through that. Um, if you had to, if if you have a gaming shelf or anything near you, what would be a games rule book that is dog-eared and used all the all the crap, versus a game book that maybe you've bought because you're collecting and is sitting there dusty that you haven't touched? If you had to, you know, one of each. Yeah, what, what's one of each that you think you would pick right now? Um, well, I'll start with the last part first. So, uh, someone suggested the uh, it was a low fantasy gaming book. And um, I'm trying to think of the, um, anyway, I, I bought it and I was really disappointed when I got it. The cover was excellent, but I just didn't really like it at the end of the day. And it's, I, I cracked it open for me. Like if I sit there, like I, I have, um, like I spend a lot of time thinking about art and uh, the style I want in my material because um, you know, the, that care and thought with the aesthetic and the consistency, we're trying to, to, to you know, herd cats, like you've got this diverse <laughs> group, group of artists, right? And your quality control, and you're trying to work with them, and, but you know, they're talented and headstrong, and, and yet your quality control, like you can't have seven artists and the eighth is just way off on a wild goose chase right i mean you have to bring some coherence to it all and you have to work with people that are willing to work with you in return and, and realize your vision because i can draw you a good stick figure but that's all I, i'm not an art major <laughs> Same so here. i have to work you know with some really talented people and thankfully they're patient with me and and sometimes we have to iterate a couple times before we get there but everyone's happy with it and we're all happy with it when it, when it finally comes forward so so those, those are things that are really important to me. So I, when I look at that first book example and I say to myself, yeah, the, the art's inconsistent or the layout has too many gaps or that sort of thing, then then um, then I'm out. Uh, something that would that uh, any uh, version of BX I have or the um, the uh, AD&D Player's Handbook DM Guide Monster Manual. Uh, the, so I had you know, my DM's copy, I've got, the AD&D handbook, uh, AD&D Player's Handbook, the DM Guide, the Monster Manual, Monster Manual 2, and Fiend Folio all bound in leather um, oh, nice. together and with ribbons and all that stuff. So so that's my that's my uh, copy, and I'm very fortunate I've gone to, I've, I've literally dragged that things to conventions across the U.S. and got it signed by most of my, um, my gaming idols from uh, early TSR days. That's a pretty awesome book to pick as the as the as the one that's been dragged around. I think that's that's awesome. Um, I've got uh, I don't know how many different versions of BX right now. <laughs> I'm looking over. I've got I've got a, a a custom book that I've got bound of both B and X put together, Rule Cyclopedia, uh, and then half a dozen other BX type clones um, that are out here. Uh, old school essentials, obviously, and everything else, but. Um, 
that would probably be the one that, that I pick as well as, as any sort of a form of BX. But I also have all my AD&D books. I don't play AD&D very often. For me, AD&D, I end up using more as a reference guide. I pull stuff from from the DMG or for, from some of the other books, but I find I, I end up not playing it as much. Um, well, yeah, I don't know so why, but... <laughs> for me, the sweet spot is uh, the BX engine with the Chrome of AD&D. Yeah. So, like things that really bug me about you know bx so i want shadows to be undead um that's something that's key i want sleep to have a uh uh save versus spells you know so there's stuff like that so uh i like and that's really how that's how i played all my life it was dnd 0.75 it was halfway between bx because we we didn't like weapon speed factors and we didn't like counting segments and stuff like that I, to this day if it if it seems like if we made the game into like actuarial science, I, I, I'm not, I'm kind of out. <laughs> I'm an accounting exercise. I'm not, I'm not keen on that. So uh, I want it to play fast and, 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 you know, we often, not all the time, but we use miniatures a lot. So we've got like an adapted, um, like a low, uh, an OSR version of miniature uh, rules that allow fast play and doesn't bog down the table. You mentioned earlier how much, Art's important, um, and that's when when I first, the very first time I ever picked up uh, Barrow Maze Complete, and I was flipping through it. The art is what, even before you know the, the design of the dungeons or anything, the art's what grabs your attention uh, with that product. There's so many, just really awesome. Um, like I, I do a lot of theater of the mind uh, when I'm playing normally, and if I'm playing online, I will often throw up a full page picture of something to evoke the the tone of what's going on there. And Barrow Maze just seemed to have so much of that just already sitting in the book waiting for me that I didn't even go searching for anything. Um, you know, I can just throw up a piece of art from there, and like this is this is what it feels like what we're playing. Like, and everybody's instantly on board. Um, and you've got some amazing. Uh, uh, people on there that's done art for you across the products. Um, one of the things that's come up over the last year or two that's got a lot of talk is AI art and where that fits. Is it is it cool to have it in the product? Is it is it uh, worthwhile? Is it something that's going to ruin art forever, or is it just another tool that an artist could could use? Do you have any opinions on that at all? I'm, I I know you're not an art major, but um, obviously you're very in in depth with a lot of artists and have you. I just wonder if you had any sort of a thought on that well uh we'll have a place sure sure it will uh but the thing is is um it like i i'm not an art snob i'm not gonna lie about it i am <laughs> um I, I just i know i know what i'm looking for i i can see it in my mind already in like how a page will lay out what have you so i've got that idea in my mind and uh, and then I start dialoguing with the artist, and they say, "Okay, well, uh, I looked at the page, and this is what I was thinking." And then and then so it becomes an it's a sometimes it's just straight what I want, and sometimes it's straight just what the artist wants. But most of the time, it's an, a negotiation, and then we sort out little tiny details and things like that. So uh, I enjoy that creative process, I really do, and. I am. I want to do things in in a way that uh, is consistent with the the zeitgeist of late 1970s, early 1980s Dungeons and Dragons. So I think one of the things that when people have said that they flip through Baromaze, that uh, they find it very atmospheric. That uh, not only that 
sort of the image of, of mist swept barrow mounds, but but uh, the you know the images of, of of the undead and and so on inside it, they find it very atmospheric. And uh, I, I I I hopefully each of my each of my books um, has its own atmosphere. I do I do try to bring that bring that forward. So will AI art have a place? Yeah, it will. I think, you know, perhaps if you're just starting out and you don't have a lot of resources and you're, you know, you've got pages to fill, um, could you do that, you know, reasonably cheaply? It, sure you could. And and I think it'll get only get better. But for where I'm at, what I enjoy doing, I I want I wanna I wanna stick to um what inspires me and what inspires the people who who like my uh who like my adventures so i, I it's it sounds like the collaborative process of going back and forth and, and doing those iterations is, is as much the juice as anything else it's it's being able to uh describe what your vision is and and, and kind of have that all work out with the artist and and get an end product that doesn't just necessarily satisfy you but everybody that's involved along the way as well well, yeah, but see, but you know, <clears throat> with Dungeon Dragons or any role-playing game, it's about the details because, you know, like any fandom, whether it's Star Wars fandom, Star Trek fandom, uh, Lord of the Rings fandom, whatever, people want depth of engagement, and if you aren't providing depth of engagement, either both in your art and your text, and in and how things will play out, then uh, you're you're limiting you're you're kind of putting parameters on how long your your product will be alive the the better the depth of engagement you're going to breathe life into that product for longer and i don't want to create something that people are going to forget in in five years and let's face it you know we've got uh, everyone has gamer adhd to, to a point <laughs> uh, it's always on to the newest thing Mm -hmm. But if in that context, you can create things that have some staying power, you're going about it the right way. And I, I, I don't, I'm trying, I'm try, I try really hard. Like I, I do spend, I spent a, a lot of time uh, going through, like I, I read, I went back through every issue of Dragon Magazine. I went back through every issue of uh, Dun Dungeon Magazine. I went anything that ever mentioned Dwarves or Darrow or Dergar. Uh, I read, I reread um, in, in my lit review for creating uh, Drow Deep. So I wanted to make sure it was very well grounded, not only in um, in the game that we we love, but also in the literature that informed that game. Right. The you, you mentioned how much stuff is out there right now. We, we are kind of in a golden age uh, of of you know, content, whether or not the content is all of the same level is, is debatable, but there's definitely more content than any one gamer could ever play produced probably almost every single day um, out there. You've gone through the Kickstarter process a few times. Um, I don't know, did was Barrow Maze also Kickstarter or was that, um, I know the other, your other ones have been, but I, I don't know if Barrow Maze was or not. No, so at that point, that precedes when Kickstarter was available to Canadians. So okay. I had to go through Indiegogo for Barrow Maze 2. And uh, and then I just brought uh, Barrow Maze Complete uh, forward on my own, if I recall correctly. So how, how do you find the, the publishing process? Um, 
I guess, I guess the I, I, is the process pretty much the same for, from a publishing standpoint. And it's just the funding that's different when you go Kickstarter, or do you have like a different approach depending on on how you're planning on on going through that? Well, see, so the thing is, when when you're doing projects as large as the ones as large as mine, you you have to be all that you have to wear many hats at the same time, and one of those is Kickstarter project manager. <laughs> and um, you know the the internet's uh, littered with wayward Kickstarters. Yep. So you need to you need to go at your Kickstarter with uh, the care and uh, and consideration that you will go through your entire project, and and you have to be good at that managerial part that doesn't even involve any creative design, doesn't involve any writing, doesn't involve working with artists. You have to have that skill set. To uh, to bring that and to to bring that to bear. Now, once you do that a few times and you develop a little bit of a name for yourself, it gets easier. But you really have to uh, you really have to empty your bucket the first few times you you do it. Now, the an additional uh, part of that would be the um, I just ran through my my brain. Um, you know, I've tried like then there's the advertising of the Kickstarter, just trying to get word out there. And you don't really realize how vast the Internet is until you yell into <laughs> it and you don't hear anything back. Right. So so that that's been really interesting. So you have to do that. Um, you know, you have to do the project management. Uh, you have to do the writing. You have to do the editing. You have to do the the, the map editing. You, so. You have to be prepared to wear all those hats, and quite honestly, it wears most people out. So, like I, you know, I, I'm fortunate because you know I've got I'm an academic, so I've written, I've done a master's thesis, I've done a PhD dissertation, I've revised a dissertation into a book. I like I, I wear I, I can literally put on a hat for a couple of years, you know, to, to get these things done because I'm accustomed to doing it. But if you haven't done it, it is a lot, you know, it really is. So, and you have to, the other part of it too is, you know, like when you're, when you're writing, you need to, to do this kind of thing well, you need to know who you are. And if you know who you are, then you know what your you know your voice. And then you have to know how, how do you like to design? What are the tenants that are core to, to how you view the game and what you see important in the game? You have to be on, you know, you have to be at the edge of the knife on all those things then you're in a place to to take on a, a big project so you know that those are are really important and i think sometimes they get lost like sometimes we think we know who we are until the shit hits the fan and then we realize we don't know who we are right yeah you, you so, start scrambling for all the things that you think you should be rather than what you actually are that's right yeah and so so you know that that's i think i think that's gotten some people you know as we know some kickstarters don't or don't fulfill or or they go sideways, and and I, I'm not going to let that happen. I, it's not something. If I if I commit to a project, I'm going to commit to a project, and it's going to get done come hell or high water. And there's not going to be any excuses for it either. One of the, one of the projects that that I wasn't aware of yours until recently, uh, when I was first was trying to get, uh, you know figure out if I was going to be able to get you to come on or not, and and I was doing a little bit of searching, uh, is quite possibly the best title for a blog I've ever seen, which is Lead Men Tell No Tales. Mm -hmm. And as I'm going through there, you, is that all your own mini painting? Uh, painting? And do you do a lot yeah, of that? Yeah, I've got, um, so I really enjoy miniature painting. I do. And I've got two display cases in my living room uh, filled with uh, 
with miniatures I've painted. And yes, yeah, all the ones on Ledman Town Motels are, are mine. And, uh, but, it, you know, so I have, I have to feel like I'm in the, I'm in the, the post-release stage. So Joyody came forward in June and then I got COVID like the next month and that like wiped out a month. And then now I've, the term is, academic term has started. So I haven't like, I'm still, I'm still sort of coming down from, from release. Mm-hmm. And I don't tend to paint and because I'm not feeling terribly creative in those instances. But uh, I'll get back in the saddle here eventually and I'll paint some minis. Do you do, do you have like a 3D printer and you make any of your own or do you like outsource uh, minis from other places? Like actually, is it actually lead men that you're painting? Um, or oh, yeah. It- Oh yeah, no, I want that lead poisoning for sure. And uh, <laughs> yeah, like all your minis, kids, they're great for you. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I uh, I really love late nineteen seventies, early nineteen eighties Citadel miniatures. Um, that's where it's at. Like, they're just, uh, you know, they're not. Um, uh, what what's the word? There's we haven't had the war gamification of miniatures that that Games Workshop did at that stage. So. Uh, a lot of them were, you know, you might have, uh, you know, six or eight variants of an orc, but at least it's a variant, right? It's not all in an identical position, which I find spirit crushing. So, I mean, I really love the dwarves of that era. I think they're super cool. The weapons haven't gotten out of, out of, uh, you know, size range. So that's something that really breaks the frame for me. So if I play a video game and, you know, somebody is wielding this big, massive sword that would just be impossible for them to pick up, like that's broken the frame for me, and now I, I'm 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 imaginatively tapped out of it. So if I see that in art or I see it in a miniature, I'm out. I have no interest. And this is one of the things that bugs me about Wizards of the Coast. So this has happened uh, um, to Star Wars. It's happened to Star Trek. It's happened to Dungeon Dragons. When you distance yourself from the source material too far, and the people in charge of that IP are not referring back to the things that made it cool to start with, it starts to become self-referential. And now it's a circle jerk. And then you start getting weird, weird armor that makes no <laughs> sense. You get weird weapons that make no sense. Now, obviously we're all talking about an imaginary game and I get all that, but it's medieval fantasy. And I, I want to keep the medieval in medieval fantasy. It's not the fantastical, which is what I see going on with a lot of role-playing games. And, and quite honestly, I, I just, I'm out. I, I won't play them because I don't, if the art was a turn off, I'm not going to play it. So I just feel like I want to stay true to the medieval and medieval fantasy. And that's what was on the white folks back in the day. Yeah, if it if it breaks your if it breaks the immersion into the world, it's hard to stay in character. It's hard to take everything that's happening seriously. So I, I can totally see that and get that. Um, it's been over ten years since Barrow Maze came out, and like you said, this Dwarrow Deep just launched this uh, past summer. How long before you think the creative juices start flowing? That uh, whatever the next project may be, or is okay. And actually, before I ask that question, it. I don't know if I've ever actually heard you admit this. I've I've seen other people speculate about it online. I think it's pretty clear whenever you look at the maps. But Wilderness Survival Map um, is is the home. It has to be the home for all these dungeons. Is there any room left on that map for yet another <laughs> Greg uh, dungeon? And if yeah. so, where will it go? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's two spaces left. 
so I've got I've got two projects. So I envision it as a six part project. So there's two left. And uh, so then you're that's the, the second question. The first one is timing. So I have to do I have to do things relative to my work schedule, just like all of us hobbyists have to do. And I do try to align a book uh, with a sabbatical. So I might, my rate of publication is slow, like I'm every two or three years, probably averaging three. And uh, so I have a sabbatical coming up in three years time. So I would envision spending, you know, uh, in the, the writing and the playtesting of the next one, starting in about a year and a half, maybe two years, then um, a year to um start drafting think about the kickstarter then uh taking all the notes and rewriting those in the sabbatical year that would follow for uh, for publication at that time so uh probably three years or four uh for the next one and it's important that you that you get your your juices back and you get your creative flow back before you you could start to go down that road so uh so that that you know those things are are important considerations has has a new notebook been been cracked open and uh ideas flowing in i do have a brand new notebook and uh i have not started writing in it yet i but the i know already know what i want from a macro like global give me a tip give us a little sneak no well i won't do that <laughs> but um Den uh, Boves, the, the famous Dragon uh, Magazine artist, has already completed the cover art for the next one. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah, if um, people want to follow on the Barrow Maze Facebook group, um, I'll post little little uh, nuggets there from, from time to time. Very cool. Is there is there anything else that you wish whenever you, you've talked to a whole lot of folks at times, is there anything that people should be asking you that nobody asks you and you're just like, why does nobody ever ask me this question? I have a great answer for it. Um, I've got a, like a lot of, uh, well, so speaking of the depth of engagement, all right. So if we use the example of say a Simpsons episode, okay. So let's say you're watching the Simpsons and you're 10 years old, right? So you're going to get like the potty humor, mm -hmm. probably, you know, all the political jokes, whatever, are just going to go right over your head. And I don't know. So you're 18, 17, 18 a little more worldly, you've got a little experience, maybe you're at college, you start learning some things, now you're getting the potty hearing, you're getting a few of the other jokes and some of the political jokes, now you're 25, I know you're, you're getting pretty much all of it. Um, so, you know, I, I layer my material like that, and I put in all kinds of tiny Easter eggs that I know for a fact people are not picking up, and so I'm always curious to see whether somebody's like, Hey, I noticed you said this on this page for this room. And uh, so I, I just, um, I do things like that just so, just to keep the, the, the reading a little bit light so that you're reading along and you maybe get a little snicker or a wry smile at the corner of your mouth as you're passing on. Oh, I remember that from this adventure or something like that. And I, I, I do, uh, that's engaging to me. And I don't know, maybe, maybe some, um, you might want to call it fan service, but um, I, I'm doing that for me. Like I, like, I, so I think I'm giggling to myself as I'm writing it and I'm going, Hmm, I wonder if anyone's going to pick up on this. And so that's always a, a fun back and forth between uh, writer, designer and audience. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's really cool. And and you're right there. There is definitely layers on, on things like that. 
first thing that popped in my head when you started going down the Simpsons uh, example was I was thinking um, uh, the, the Muppets and what have you. There was always that same sort of layer where there was a beginning and then if you go back and watch it as an adult, you're like, oh, how'd they get away with those jokes on that, on that kid's show? But yeah. uh, um, you did you go this year to North Texas RPG Con? I'm sorry? Did you go to North Texas RPG Con this year? Yeah, I did. I was a special guest there this year. It was great. I, I wanted to go down so bad, but then just way that when at the beginning of the year when we were all so unsure of how travel was going to work coming out of Canada and some work stuff, I just I wasn't able to make it down. But um, that is on my list of of cons for for next year. Are there any other cons that you highly suggest people go to if they're interested in the OSR outside of North Texas? I think that's kind of the premier OSR one, but. Oh, it is the premier uh, premier OSR one, and uh, there are, there are kindred spirits down there. So, if any of your listeners, you know, uh, enjoy uh, you know TSR games or their uh, clones, then um, North Texas is definitely where you want to go. Any excuse, I'm a, also a Dallas Cowboys fan, so any excuse <laughs> to get me down there, and I'm good. Uh, those are my people uh, for sure. So, may, I think I was maybe a Texan in a past life or something because I, I find that place uh, like home. Uh, so, now. After North Texas, in my, for my two cents, there is a, a, a big drop. And I would love, I'd love to sit here and say, you know, GaryCon is still an old school gaming convention, but it's not. And um, they've gone down a different road uh, for the reasons that they needed to. And, and that's up to them. But, you know, uh, I went to GaryCon when it was still um, a bit of an old school convention. And then the second time I went, it started to change. And then the third time I went, I decided I, I wasn't going to go back. Um, there's just not critical mass of, of people there that enjoy the same style and, and uh, of games that I enjoy. Now, I do have friends in you know Chicago and, and the related area I'd love to see. So if I went, it would be uh, you know to to be able to see some of those people and 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 whatnot. Uh, I haven't made it to Game Hole yet. I was thinking I would make it this October. But I can't go. I'm also maybe shoot for um, Game Hole in 2023. And uh, there are a few smaller, uh, very small conventions at this stage that uh, that you know we'll see where they go in the next few years and take it from there. Yeah, one I'm one I'm interested in in probably attending next year too is ShireCon, um, which if, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not. It's uh, located. I think it's in, is it Vermont that they have that they hosted in. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it's Vermont. It's either Vermont or upstate New York. It's right in that area. Um, so for me, that's not that terribly long of a drive. It's uh, you know a few hours, you know, six, seven hours, I guess, away. Um, so that's on my list as well as far as being a, an old school con to try to hit up in, in the next year. Um, I think that's all the questions I had. Is there is there a big list of uh, where's the best place for everybody to find the list of all the products that you've got out and be able to keep up with with where announcements for new things and everything will come from like where should everybody go to look to find all your stuff um well you can go to, to uh, drive through rpg and you can put my name in there and, and um you'll find you'll find my stuff there uh the Baromaze facebook group so you know um you can uh, add add there and uh, and there's people who, you know, if you're looking for digital maps for um, for uh, Baromes for, you know, playing on a virtual tabletop, like there are people who just create those maps and will post links to to that kind of um, resource material there or other stuff or people ask questions or play uh, post game reports. And so that's kind of always fun for me. And uh, what else? Uh, 
Facebook group, Drive RPG. And uh, oh, I'm available. You know, if anyone has any questions, I'm available at barrelmatescomplete at gmail.com. So, you know, uh, or on, on Facebook, uh, people, I do get messages uh, all the time or play reports or somebody saying, we played this room last night and it was so funny because, you know, this is how the, the, my players reacted to it. So it's, I enjoy hearing uh, stuff like that. All right, sounds good. So everybody send all your play reports and uh, and stuff in, into Greg. Um, I'll have put a link down in the description uh, in the show notes there of, of all the different links of how to get a hold of you and and where everything's located. Um, I really want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I know it's uh, like I said before, uh, it's kind of a small podcast, but it's always great to have folks that that I look at and look at my shelf, and I'm like, oh. I can actually get to talk to the person that created this stuff. So it's great that our hobby, while it's small and niche, is still you know it's it's still easy to get a hold of the folks that have made really great work and and uh, you know thank you for the work that you've done, uh, but also thank you for coming on here and chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure. Anytime, I'm happy to to join you and a great conversation. I re- I'm really uh, uh, pleased that you invited me, and um, I look forward to hearing more of your podcast. Okay, folks, that wraps up this episode of the Red Caps podcast. I hope you enjoyed, you learned something, and that you were eager to come back for more. Thank you so much to Greg for joining me on this episode. That was a lot of fun, and I really hope everybody enjoyed it, even as partially as much as I did. The call-in number is 3852-RED-CAP. That's 385-273-3227. Or you can head over to anchor.fm slash the Red Caps and leave a voicemail www.theredcaps.net has all the links to all the ways to contact me and I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening and please remember, never let your caps dry out. Stay safe, have fun. We'll talk again soon. Take care.